This is Clutch Fans. And by the way, shout out to the Clutch fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets is unbeatable. <laughs> Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. Welcome into the podcast. I am here with the guy who throws the very best NBA draft party in the city of Houston. Uh, that's David Weiner. You know him as Bema Thug. David, thank you. I appreciate you doing this. I was great catching up with you during the draft party, and uh, I know we're going to have a, a lot to talk about today. Well, thanks for having me as always, and, and we enjoyed having you and the rest of the crew over last week. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, it was a great time, and uh, just lots of basketball being discussed. I thoroughly enjoyed it. A lot of great basketball minds there. Um, just just a blast. I mean, it was just fun to watch so much uh, draft news unfold, um, so many trades happening and, and teams making things happen. Unfortunately, the Rockets were not one of those teams making things happen, but they still did um, – couple of minor things uh, on draft night and i think a lot of fans were were uh kind of hoping that we would message daryl morey nudge him get him to to do something on draft day but um obviously those guys were extremely busy and, and did their homework but they did not trade into the first round uh trade up or or make any of the magical things happen that were being kind of rumored as has been the case for probably five to ten years now in a row where the rockets are rumored to be shopping for a a top pick or or something of that nature didn't happen, but they stayed um, in the second round with the 43rd pick overall. They take basically a Euro stash pick, a German center who plays in Lithuania, seven footer Isaiah Hartenstein, and they traded away the 45th pick, which was used to select Dylan Brooks out of Oregon, traded to Memphis for a future second round pick. Uh, Draft night overall, were you disappointed? What were your thoughts? Um, I'd give them maybe a C plus, uh, maybe a B minus. Um, and that's more about my own expectations than it was about their performance. Uh, I think, well, uh, as you can attest, the room, uh, was not as receptive to Hartenstein as, as we have been to some other, uh, Rockets graphics in the past. I think, uh, the more we kind of get information on him and, and kind of, uh, do research in hindsight. I'm actually warming up to that pick. I think uh, most mock drafts had him as a as a a few weeks ago as a mid first round pick, and then uh, he kind of started to slip. And uh, there were some injury red flags with him uh, where he fell out of the first round. But in the middle of the second round, you, you definitely take a risk on 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 injuries. Uh, but with his upside, and, and I kind of said the same thing about Joe Chi last year. Um, a guy who was mocked to go in the late first, you're getting a guy like that in the middle of the second round. Uh, that's a pretty good prospect, and the and the ability to to stash him, and we'll see whether he uh, Hartenstein's fully on board with that. But if they're able to stash him, not only do you have a nice talent, but you have someone who's not going to take up cap space next year, and you have a guy whose draft rights will continue to be a potential trade asset as the team decides to to maneuver forward. And I think there was similar thinking with the 45th pick um, when they decided to trade for a future second. And I know you and I and some others were talking about uh, that, that that was definitely uh, an avenue they might possibly go with that, that second second round pick to try to trade for a future pick. I think where, where my grade tends to, to get lowered for the Rockets is their inability to get a better pick. Because typically, if you're giving up a pick – number X in this year for a future pick, the, you should have a reasonable expectation that the future pick is likely to be a little higher in the draft. Yeah, that was but, disappointing. Uh, because, yeah. yeah, I mean, basically the, what they're getting is is uh, from Memphis is the worst of Memphis holds three second rounders next year, their own Miami's and Charlotte's. And the Rockets could have gotten the best or the second best or picked one of them 
that you know, Memphis was able to negotiate to give the Rockets only whatever's the worst of those three. Now, it's possible that's going to be in the late 40s, maybe. Maybe it could be better than 45, but it's most likely going to be worse than 45, and I was hoping they could get something that would be more likely in the 30s. So I, I ding them there, but uh, I, I do like conceptually what they're doing. A draft and stash, a high-ceiling prospect who continues to be an asset for the team or in trade, and then move that other pick into the future so they have that extra second-round pick to include in trades. It just gives them more flexibility going forward. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like they, at least as far as that second pick, I mean, we're talking about the 45th pick in the draft, but, I mean, there's a good chance they traded a dollar for 95 cents next year, maybe even less considering the draft may not be that deep next year compared to, you know, what we saw this year, which was a relatively deep draft. I think that didn't matter to me quite as much as I, I was just so disappointed that they missed out on Jordan Bell. Granted, this is a guy who went 38th overall, five picks before them, but that pick was acquired by the Warriors of all teams uh, for straight up cash, you know, in cash that the Rockets could have offered themselves. I, I guess. Uh, Dave, I got to stop you here. I have to let the listeners know how absolutely despondent you were when Jordan <laughs> Bell came off the board. First to Chicago and then to Golden State to make it even worse. Right, Folks, Dave. And I'm with I'm with Dave on this to an extent, but Dave was totally in the bag for Jordan Bell all the way, and this just crushed his soul. Carry on. I mean, he. Thank you. He was the one guy I wanted, and I absolutely. Uh, felt he was going to go ahead of where they were at 43. So I didn't feel like it was a failure on the Rockets part to not get him at 43. But, and, and you know, as we looked at the draft play by play, we saw the 28th pick get traded for 30 and 42. And you and I both said, uh, and some of the others in the room, like, wow, you know, if that's the price just to move up two picks to 28 and granted there was probably some sort of, uh, communication of a player at 29, and, and perhaps Utah had to overpay to, to jump up there to 28. But we thought those picks are still considered extremely valuable. The Rockets are not going to be able to combine 43 and 45 and just move up, um, probably like I thought they might be able to. But then just to see a couple of picks, one got traded, I think, in the 35 range for a, a future second-round pick, and then 38 got traded for straight cash. And I guess I'm just looking at this, you know, these are second round picks. These are, are long shots, but this is a deep draft. In some of the, in some other drafts, these guys would go late first round. Uh, and perhaps in a few years, we'll look back at this and, and say, you know, Hartenstein is going to be, is, is clearly the better player of any of these guys. Um, but I just look at a guy like Jordan Bell and I say, he's not Draymond Green, but he has, potential qualities on one side of the floor to give you um, what a guy like Draymond Green could. And it took a couple years for Draymond Green to have an impact. But I just feel like this is the future of the league, that you have to have um, guys who can switch and play just about anybody. Jordan Bell's a high-motor guy, high-engine guy. Um, you know, he's got good athleticism. Uh, he doesn't have much of an offensive game, but he'll – He'll throw down the dunks. He'll get offensive boards. He'll cut to the basket, which is what you need out of a five here. He Granted, he'd be more of a small ball five, but defensively, he's terrific. High IQ player, guy who can guard one through five, I think. I, I just was disappointed. And for him to go to Golden State of all teams, you know that, that was the part that I think really upset me about this. But I think for just standing pat, which is more or less what the Rockets did, I think they did fine with the pick. It's not like you're expecting this significant rotation guy at 43 or 45. Right now. And I will say that, that, you know, another reason that you and I were a little bit down on the Rockets draft was the fact that that Jordan Bell pick did go for cash. It went for, now it did go for the maximum three and a half million uh, that teams are allowed to include in trades for the entire year, which Golden State, again, they're a magnificently run franchise. They saved up their money. They did not spend their money in any trades all year just so that they could buy themselves a pick because they were out of the draft completely to buy their way back into the draft. It was a great move. It just so happened that the Rockets also had the full $3.5 million that they have not spent this season. That it's I shouldn't say use it or lose it because you don't have to spend it and you can just pocket it. 
but they could have spent it anytime up to June 30th. Now, between now and June 30th, who knows, maybe the Rockets pull off some sort of trade where they, they trade out $3.5 million. Unlikely, but there was that level of disappointment, I'm sure, that, well, hey, the Rockets could have spent $3.5 million. Maybe they tried. We don't know. But Golden, if Golden State offered it first, you know, what does Chicago care whose money they're taking, really? Yeah. Um, but another, another maybe mitigating factor for the Rockets here is that they did end up getting a couple of really good undrafted free agents um, uh, shortly after the draft ended, one of whom is a big man, uh, Cameron Oliver, uh, power forward out of uh, Nevada, who uh, he's not the defender that Jordan Bell is, but right. kind of got a good all-around game, more of an offensive player, but he's very athletic. Kind of reminds me of a kind of a poor man's Larry Johnson. Uh, he's got a versatile game, uh, not very consistent, but if he can kind of hone that and get become more consistent, he could be a, a very high ceiling player, a guy that has a, a decent chance, especially if the Rockets retool and try to add some stars and thin out their ranks. Uh, a guy who has a legitimate chance to make the final 15-man roster, uh, as well as L.J. Peak, who's uh, a wing player from Georgetown. Um, kind of a, a, a grit and grind kind of player who, uh, pretty good defender, versatile player, not the best shooter, but, uh, he's got another good game. He was a, the top guy in a lot of draft boards that went undrafted. Both those guys have been mocked in the early to mid second round. So these are guys the Rockets may have had pretty high on the draft board and were shocked to see them fall. Uh, or maybe they were counting that someone pretty high on the draft board board was going to fall so they didn't have to go out and spend three and a half million cash because the cam olivers of the world were going to be there for the plucking so uh, i think they did kind of salvage their draft uh and, and kind of boosted their their grade in my mind with with the cam oliver and lj peak signings yeah i think oliver is going to be interesting to watch at uh, summer league I'm, I'm going to be curious to see what he does there and if you haven't seen his highlights you can find them all over the clutch fans forums they've been posted there uh, several times you know, he looks pretty good. I think what I like about him is he's got range. He, at least his, his uh, last season, he hit between 38 and 39% from three-point range. I don't know if that will translate uh, to the pro game uh, necessarily. We'll find out. But he's certainly very athletic. He um, has a really quick jump. He's a great shot blocker. I don't think he has the, you know, as you mentioned, the defensive IQ of a Jordan Bell. You know, just defensively, I don't think he has quite that much potential like like Bell does. But you definitely got a very good prospect considering he was undrafted, and so they did well to get him. I, I would agree with you. You know, as far as some of the other teams in the league, I think Sacramento had a great draft, but I think they're a long ways away from, uh, you know, doing anything in this league. But Minnesota, I mean, getting Jimmy Butler. I think now, if if you're a team who has two very good, uh, potentially shut down wings, which they may have here now with Wiggins and Butler, plus you've got Cat. Um, that's you know coached by Thibodeau. That's a team right now, and we'll see what they do in free agency and trade. Um, that's probably jumping into the playoffs and could be a very good team in the coming years. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, they. Their core now looks very strong. I'd say the only knock on them is, is shooting. That between Rubio, Wiggins, and Butler, none of them are really dead-eye shooters, um, and that might hurt them. But and defensively, their defensive potential, you know, is, is tremendous. I think uh, Towns is a supreme talent. Uh, if he can improve his defense next year, they're just they're, they they ought to be a playoff team and. You just kind of hope they miss their shots, really. Yeah, and I'm hoping it's the Clippers that uh, are going to be the team that they replace. I have to jump into that, you know, speaking of the Clippers, as far as free agency, which is coming up here July 1st. The um, teams can start negotiating with players, and I believe July 6th is the first day they actually can sign, but we're going to see some agreements happen quickly in July 1st. Uh, David, this is when the Rockets are hoping to do their business. They were quiet on the draft. But they're hoping for big things, and we're going to talk about that a little bit here. But right off the gate, we know that they're, you know, they're always a team that chases stars. It's always been the case. But I think they had a very good, a very good rebound season in 2016-17. In any other year, you would say we got to build off of that. But this is not 
your you know, your father's NBA or even you know the NBA of last year, um, the Warriors are on another level. I mean, the Rockets. I would say if you just took the Warriors out of the league, the Rockets are legit championship contenders. I think they they're a threat to beat Cleveland. I think if they, if everyone's healthy and playing well, I think they should have beaten San Antonio. We can we're going to talk about that a little bit later too, but. Um, I think they're right there with those other teams. But the gap between the Houston Rockets or the Spurs or even Cleveland and the Golden State Warriors as currently constructed is enormous. And I think you're seeing kind of a league-wide panic where all these teams are either heading south or they're they're trying to figure out what they can do to, to contend here. And the Rockets have a plan, and they're hoping um, to go after Chris Paul they're, um, and – they're trying to acquire Paul George via trade. We're going to see what happens there. Um, there's some other names being thrown around as far as the Rockets are concerned. Uh, Paul Millsap, Blake Griffin. Um, you even heard Kyle Lowry's name. But it starts with Chris Paul. And the only thing I can tell you about that is it seems very much like the 2013 chase of Dwight Howard. There's something that I haven't put my finger on at all, but there's some sort of communication that's been made or something um, that gives the Rockets a, a strong confidence that they're going to get Chris Paul. It's almost as if they're operating like that's going to happen, but we need to make um, steps one, two, and three happen first. And I don't know if a Paul George is required. I don't think it is, but that's what they're truly hoping for. Acquire Paul George, sign Chris Paul, not necessarily in that order. Can you take me through how the Rockets, a team that, really doesn't have that much cap room, certainly not a max cap slot, uh, can can pull that off. Sure. I mean, first things first, I don't care how confident they are. Uh, we, we've seen near misses. You know, we, I was celebrating the Chris Bosh signing in yeah. 2014 for three hours before checking Twitter again and realizing we didn't get him. And he communicated so, to the yeah. Rockets that he was going to sign here. So anything can change. That's I absolutely agree with that. I mean, he, he right. flat out said he's coming here, right? So, I mean, you know, take a look at uh, DeAndre Jordan and the Mavericks. I mean, things can change. Exactly. So, um, you know, who knows if they have uh, any assurances directly from Chris Paul, but, uh, you know, uh, it would sure be great if they did. He's a phenomenal talent. He's one of the seven best players in the NBA. Um, and when you can, when a player like that, is willing to sign with your team, you do everything you can to make that happen. I understand that that Harden being the primary ball handler this past year and having a phenomenal year uh, makes it somewhat of an awkward fit. But to have two of the best ball, two of the maybe the two best ball handlers or two of the top five ball handlers in the league, you make that work. You 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 sign them up and you and you make you work on the fit later. Uh, as far as mechanically how that would work. The Rockets have nowhere near enough cap room to sign Chris Paul. Um, given the current projected cap of 99 million, Chris Paul's max is a little over 34 and a half million dollars. He's a, a 10 plus year veteran. Uh, the Rockets right now, the most cap room they can create without trades or stretching salary is about 9.7 million. So they're nowhere close. But, the rumors that, that we've been hearing over the last couple of weeks about the Rockets shopping Patrick Beverly, Ryan Anderson, and Lou Williams. Uh, that's not probably, probably not pure speculation. I think they're really going around trying to see the market for those players. And the reason for that is not just try to get talent back for them, but I think they're trying to move off of those salaries. Uh, obviously, they, if they can move off of the Anderson salary and replace it with a Chris Paul, they do that in a second. But some of these other guys like Beverly and Lou Williams have great contracts. They can get value for that. I'm fairly confident you can get a first-round pick for Patrick Beverly, who's making $5 million a year the next two years. You can get at least a decent second-round pick, maybe more for Lou Williams, who's only making $7 million next year. Um, Anderson, that's going to be a little bit tougher, but I think you might be able to find a taker for him, a team like maybe the Sacramento Kings, uh, Ryan's a Sacramento native. They are completely laden with first-round rookie-scale contracts now. More than half their roster is rookie-scale contracts. They're going to have north of $50 million in cap room this year. They have to spend about 
$40 million of that just to hit the salary floor, or they're going to have to cut a check to the league for the difference. So, um, And they went after Anderson last year. I think the reason the Rockets have to pay $20 million a year for Anderson is because the Kings were offering that much. Yeah. At least that was the speculation. So um, you might be able to get a taker. The, the, the Kings could use a stretch four, and they're not the only team. Minnesota could use yeah, a stretch Minnesota. four, a few other teams out there. But I mean, but from a cap standpoint and a fit and a desire standpoint, the Kings strike me as just one example of a team you might be able to, to trade Ryan Anderson to, not take any salary back, uh, and and you, heck, you might even get a second round pick out of them, let alone having to give up picks. But we'll see what, if Maury and his team can work their magic. But they have to feel pretty confident they can move off of Anderson's salary because none of this happens without moving Anderson's salary off the books. And see, so that's, you can move, yeah. oh, sorry to interrupt you. I was going to say that's actually what I've, I've become. You know, in the past, I'm like, hey, the Rockets can always sweeten deals and make this happen. But we saw a couple of deals and how pricey they were to move. Now, Mozgov, the L.A. Lakers-Brooklyn deal, that was, you know, Mozgov's just dead weight. I mean, he's a he's a decent role player, I guess. But, I mean, that was a horrible contract the moment it was signed. But Dwight Howard's, you know, is was that really that bad with two years left, considering they, they had to take Plumlee's contract back? And, you know, I, I just suddenly got the, uh, the vibe from those two trades that moving big contracts like that that were signed last summer might be harder than we think. Right, and maybe it takes you what some of the assets you can get from dealing Beverly or Lou Williams that you then flip with Anderson to a team to get them to take his contract. But on the flip side of that, I think, you know, I, I, I'm not the, the biggest Ryan Anderson fan. now. If, and I think we, we talked about this before free agency last year, that we both thought Anderson was a possibility and that it was probably going to cost more than we'd like. And I'd said I will, I'd like him at a certain number, probably not a number this high. And they ended up signing him for a number higher than I would have liked. Um, I think he really does have value, especially in today's NBA. I know he only averaged 13-something points a game, but he, his presence was a big component of how Harden had the year he had. Harden had so much room to operate with Anderson on the floor. Anderson's gravity of his man having to come all the way out past the three-point line to guard him really opened up the offense. And you could even see the Oklahoma City series. When we had put that horrible defensive lineup out there, we were killing him because the spacing was so phenomenal in our favor. So Anderson really helps you space the floor. He Harden got so much better with so much more room to work be, in large part because Anderson was just standing out there. So even when he's not scoring, he's helping the team. So that has value around the league. So unlike a Mozgov who's quote unquote just the center, like he's a serviceable role player, like you said, there's a lot of other guys like that. There's not many six foot ten elite shooters like Ryan Anderson. I'm not trying to be the used car salesman here, but I think he has more value than some of the other guys you mentioned. Yeah. Well, we'll find out. I think you you mentioned Sacramento. That's a great point. They, you know, going to have to take on some salary. And um, so that's a logical destination uh, for him. He's like you said, he's from Sacramento. Minnesota was the, the other one, I think. I, I'm not quite familiar with their cap situation, but I think they're, yeah, I think both him and Beverly would be um, possibilities in, in Minnesota. And it brings me to, uh, you know, speaking of possibly trading somebody to their hometown, there's the Eric Gordon possibility to Indiana as far as Paul George is concerned. Now, I don't think I've struggled with this. I mean, the only reason I think they would be in the ballpark for a guy like Paul George is because of the rental threat that he has said he will sign with the Lakers in one year. Paul George is the guy I want to add to this team. I think he would fit like a glove, would be fantastic with D'Antoni, fantastic with James Harden, plays both ends of the floor, can shoot very well from three-point range, um, can slash. I, I think Paul George would be awesome here, but how do you acquire him? And take me through, I guess, you know what the Rockets would have to do step-by-step. Step. You, you posted a little bit about this on the forum, but how do they – again, this is pie-in-the-sky – visions and hopes and dreams for the Rockets, but how do they get Paul George and Chris Paul? Sure. So, so again, we were talking about moving off of salary. So, again, let's assume you can move off of Anderson, you move off of Lou Williams. 
That should get you just enough to sign Paul. Uh, I'm sorry, Chris Paul. I guess we need to specify here. That's just enough to and sign is, Chris Paul to the match. Are Williams and Beverly interchangeable here? Um, no, I think you, I, I think Anderson and Beverly only doesn't get you all the way there. You'd have to move off another small salary. Okay. Uh-huh. I think Lou, Lou makes about five, a, a million and a half more than Beverly. Um, but hypothetically, let's say you could move off of Anderson and Williams. Uh, that gets you right, just, you know, we could put up a collection plate to make up the difference on the max for, for, for Chris Paul. And I'm just using that for this hypothetical, but that's enough. You sign Chris Paul is extraordinarily unlikely that you could open up enough cap room to add yet another star, which is why the Paul George scenario is so prominent when you're linking the Rockets to them, because for the very reason that he is one of the only stars who is known to be available in trade. Because, again, if you're going after Chris Paul in free agency, that's pretty much going to be all your cap room. Uh, and it, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to use cap room to add another player on top of Chris Paul. So the, the Paul George situation is one the Rockets are going to go after hard because that's one of the only ways they can add that third star. So it would need to be via trade, and Paul George is available via trade. And I, I agree. I think Eric Gordon would need to be the salary-based centerpiece of any such trade. Um, but because Paul George signed his max deal under the old CBA, he's and I'm doing air quotes here. He's only going to make 19 and a half million next year. So from a salary standpoint, as long as you can get within five million of that, you can trade less salary out and bring in his higher salary. Uh, Gordon's going to make just shy of $13 million. So you just need one more small salary. Uh, I think Gordon and Decker would get you there. Or Gordon, Harrell, and Anuaku would get you there. Now, for Indiana, is that enough? Probably not. That's where Beverly would probably come in. Maybe Ariza, but I think they'd like to hold on to Ariza in this scenario, uh, especially because you've moved out Anderson and you need someone to play the four, I think. Ideally, they would look at a Paul George Trevor Ariza forward combo. Um, so if you have Beverly and he can get you a first round pick, well, now you have a first round pick you can use to give to Indiana for George. Uh, you can also give one or more of the Rockets' own first round picks if you're hoping the Rockets are going to be really, really good for the duration of the period that they would owe those picks. So if you can offer Eric Gordon, Sam Decker, and two first round picks, that's something Indiana's got to listen to. See, and I struggle with the, the idea of, well, how are they going to get picks for players when they're, the main asset they're getting back is cap space? Like, you know, somebody to just outright absorb the player and get the pick. You know, I guess Omer Ashik was somewhat similar to that in that they really did fantastic in that trade with the, with the Pelicans uh, overall to sort of get that contract off the books and, and get a first-round pick. But maybe you use a guy like Beverly if you're using Lou Williams out because you're going to have an extra player in there. You know, I'm assuming if you move Lou Williams, you're able to keep Beverly. But Beverly, you know, there's probably a contract dispute here. He's eligible for an extension. I don't think he's getting that offered to him. I think he probably does want to be moved. Um, maybe he's moved out for a bad contract and a similar annual rate. Um, and you get a first-round pick in that type of trade. That's the only way I could see the Rockets netting a first-rounder in this type of deal. See, I, I just think his con- – I think Patrick Beverly has one of the best non-rookie scale and non-max contracts in the entire league. He makes $5.5 million next year as a – albeit below-average starter, but a, he is a starting-caliber point guard who gives you elite defense – for five and a half million. Now, by comparison, the mid-level exception this summer is eight point four million, and so you're getting him for below-average role player money uh, as your as a potential starting point guard next to maybe a primary ball handler who's not the point. And then in 2018-19, he's only making five million flat, non-guaranteed, which is insane. It was insane at the time he signed the deal, given what the market in 2015 was. Um, he is an absolute steal at that salary, and I think there would be more than one team out there that would give up a first-round pick for him. Now, not the, not a 
top 10 pick. Right. But a team, you know, a, a playoff team with cap room, I think would certainly part with a first rounder for him. See, that's the big interesting thing here. Can the Rockets make a trade for Paul George? And as you mentioned, they're going to have to come up with some way to both A, clear cap space, and B, gain assets to to be able to flip in a George trade. And yet the order of things and how they do all this is going to be interesting as well. Um, oh, and, and, and let, me, let me step in there to, uh, to we talked about Eric Gordon and, and Sam Decker. You, an, an alternative one, depending on how, how much the Pacers like Decker, you, you don't even necessarily have to trade Decker. What you could do is trade Gordon and Beverly in a three-way trade where the third team gets Beverly, sends a first-round pick that then get, goes to Indiana, and you can do just Gordon, Beverly are the only like current Rockets players that would go out in that trade. And you wouldn't have to give up a, a Decker or Harrell, and you'd be able to use them as depth um, for the team going forward. Okay. Well, you know, I'm sure people are listening to this, thinking to themselves, "Okay, you guys are crazy. You're talking about, you know, uh, you know, adding these two big stars." And I'm sure, I guarantee you, Daryl Morey is looking to have a uh, similar offseason to the Celtics. I believe it was in '07 when they, you know, had Paul Pierce already on the roster and suddenly added Ray Allen and and Kevin Garnett. That's the kind of thing they're looking to do because the Warriors are so ridiculous. But I have to ask this question. Any other year, you're like already celebrating if you have James Harden, Chris Paul, and Paul George. But going against that Warriors, I think that's, as crazy as it sounds, still the second best team in the league. I mean, it's certainly going to be able to contend more with the Warriors. But, I mean, the Warriors are just insane to have two MVPs under 30 years old, uh, you know, a, a guard who's an incredible shooter and a top defensive player and probably the most unique player in the league as far as what he adds to his team and Draymond Green able to play on both sides of the floor in a in a tremendous, unique variety of ways. So um, it's still tough to see the Rockets, even at that incredible lineup, um, just easily knocking off the Warriors. Uh, yeah, no one's easily knocking off the Warriors, that's for sure. Um but I kind of like the I kind of like the attitude and the strategy because you know every year you know ideally you're going to have 30 teams competing for a champion trying to compete for a championship. We know in the reality of today's NBA that's not true. There's always some teams tanking. Well, I think next year and maybe the year after, so many teams are kind of giving up and rebuilding because they they think it's hopeless that no one's beating the Warriors. Now the the kind of the competition is thinning out as far as the contenders out there. Now Golden State's not going anywhere. They're going to be the, the favorite no matter what anything does. But you never know what happens in this league. You know something could happen and a, oh, something opens up. You know I thought the Warriors were a surefire surefire to win last year and they blew a three one lead. I don't know if you know that they blew a three one lead in the NBA and I'll kind of compare it to 97. The Chicago Bulls were coming off a 72 and 10 season, the greatest season in NBA history. A lot of teams could have thrown their hands up and said, it's not even worth it. Let's rebuild. No one's beaten that Bulls team. And they went and won two more championships. But, you know, that also happened to be the year the Rockets came the closest to the NBA finals that they have since they won the championship in 95. Um, you know, they were, but you bring a, up the game, point, though, that a game in 10 seconds away from the NBA Finals. But I think that was like a guy like Charles Barkley at that time saying, you know what, we have to team up. I mean, I think that's kind of how things came about because the Bulls were that good. I mean, the Suns no longer had that shot by themselves. The Rockets were sort of starting to hit the twilight years. And so I think that's what they had to do because they were so good. And I think that's what we're going to see here, whether it's here in Houston or somewhere else. It, the NBA has to come up with some sort of rival to what is an insanely talented and still quite young team. Um, there's going to be another super team formed to try to rival with the Warriors because right now it doesn't exist. Right, but you know what? You, you might as well try. You, you might as well try. You know, I don't know about you, but I have extremely fond memories of the '97 playoff run. Oh, yeah. Eddie Johnson hitting the three at the buzzer. You know, th that was a really good team. And it was a, it was a top-heavy, star-laden team with a lot of role players underneath them, which the, the next year's team might end up being if if Daryl Morey and crew get their wishes. 
Um, but that was a really good team. People, you know, tend to poo-poo the Charles Barkley trade. That that was a really good team that really could have been in the NBA Finals that year. And one of the greatest teams in Rockets history. You know, I'll put that out there. Um, and if we can get a team like that for the next two or three years, even if it's with aging superstars, that's that's got to be worth something. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, I mean, the Paul George trade is, is still a long shot, but I think obviously a team like Boston, if they actually want Paul George, um, then they can ha- they'll can they be able to have him. They have plenty of assets to trade, but it, it appears, for, if reports are accurate, that Danny Ainge wasn't even willing to part with some of these uh, golden assets for Jimmy Butler, who has two years left on his contract. It's hard to see him doing it um, You know, for Paul George, who has won and has said he will go to L.A., now perhaps if the the trade if there's a trade to LA on the board they may be threatened and feel uh, inclined to make a deal just to keep him off of the Lakers so that pick could be valuable that they now own from the the trade of the number one pick. Right, and I will say this on Boston's part, um, you know I know Ainge has been very reluctant to deal his top draft assets, but some of this could be timing related. You know, it, it looks like they're going to go hard after Gordon Hayward and maybe Blake Griffin. And because of Boston's cap situation, it is in their best interest to kind of like what we just laid out for the Rockets to kind of order of operations to first go out and use their cap room to get that free agent, then to make a trade. And so for Boston, their preference, I think, would be free agency comes, they get Gordon Hayward, then they make a trade for someone like Paul George. And maybe they just weren't willing to to make that deal on draft night because it would have jeopardized their ability to add a free agent star. Um, maybe this changes. Maybe, after, maybe if they're successful in getting Gordon Hayward or Blake Griffin or someone like that, then Ainge might be more willing to part with, with some of their, their more valuable assets. In which case, there's Maybe not anything the Rockets can do about that. But, you know, you kind of cross your fingers and hope that it doesn't come to that because if Danny Ainsley wakes up one day and says, I'm willing to push all my chips into the table, no one's beating that. And you and I talked about this on draft night, but, you know, maybe, you know, if you if you get a guy like Chris Paul, um, you know, and you bring in Paul George, maybe you do trade the, you know, the Rockets, your 2018 first round pick, which is, of course, is not a, even a question that you would trade that pick, but maybe you do trade a future pick into, say, into 2020. And again, I, I'm always reluctant to do that, or I should say generally reluctant to do that because, you know, I, I look at a team like Brooklyn and I think that's a, a concern. But I think if you're adding those kind of guys, maybe you say to yourself, you're going to have a good chance to re-sign Paul George. You're going to have James Harden and, and Chris Paul under contract for a few years you might be safe in 2020. But, of course, I would sincerely hope the Rockets do avoid a situation like that. Right. And, and one thing, one aspect of free agency that you and I haven't even touched on yet um, is the fact that, uh, at least according to reports, the first moment they can, uh, the Rockets are going to offer another extension to James Harden. And this one would be the new is a new concept in the, in the, in the new CBA called a, a designated veteran player extension. Um, and what's funny is that technically speaking, James Harden does not meet the qualifications for a designated veteran player because he signed an extension last summer. Um, but there's apparently a side letter. It's actually not part of the CBA, but there's a side letter where James Harden and Russell Westbrook got grandfathered in. And so there are exceptions made for those two players so that they can sign new extensions this summer again. And it looks like the Rockets are going to try to do that. And if they do, Harden's going to be with the team for the complete remainder of his prime. And if that's the case, I think maybe they feel they would feel better about hypothetically trading that 2020 first rounder because I think even in the, the 1920 season, Harden's going to still be in his prime. And a prime Harden and maybe a uh, declining Chris Paul is probably still enough at worst to be you're drafting in the teens at worst. And so maybe that's worth trading for Paul George. That's 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 like Rockets worst case scenario. The fact that Chris Paul is their number one target is an, is 
fascinating to me. I, I wrote about this maybe a week ago that I really didn't think he was an ideal fit here. I didn't think he, he would consider Houston an ideal fit for his services. You would have thought that uh, San Antonio would have been the more logical uh, spot for him. You know, you just the Rockets have a guy in James Harden who just led the league in assists. You just ran an entire year where you made him your point guard, and you're adding one of the very best point guards ever in Chris Paul. Um, you know, how's that going to work? And I think you're going to see two guys whose numbers do go down. Are they going to be willing to accept that? And, you know, if you're losing, are there, is there going to be finger pointing about who should be, uh, you know, controlling the offense as we've seen at least from fans, not from the guys on the court in instances like Ty Lawson and Jeremy Lin and, you know, James Harden shouldn't be running the offense. What are we going to see if they do bring in a guy like Chris Paul? Well, I think the, the Ty Lawson experiment and the failure of that experiment has really soured a lot of people uh, to the to the point where there are these big doubts about adding in a Chris Paul. But you know, Chris Paul is not Ty Lawson. Yeah, I think, Ty Lawson's you know, awful. A coach. Yeah, I mean, it, it, which is shocking because I actually was very excited about the Ty Lawson trade. Me too. Um, but the um, but you know, unlike Ty Lawson, Chris Paul is an elite defensive player. Um, so even when he doesn't have the ball, he's contributing in other ways. Whereas Lawson, if he wasn't the ball handler, he, he wasn't really helping you in many other areas of the game. Um, I think Paul will be, would be the primary ball handler. I think Harden can be a primary ball handler and play off the ball. Obviously he was one of, one of them, if not the best point guard in the league, uh, this past season, but he's also the best shooting guard hands down in the league. So, um, and I think D'Antoni can stagger their minutes so that they maximize the amount of time that each is the primary ball handler. Uh, with that, I, I think you just make it work. And yeah, there could be some feathers ruffled if for stretches here and there, one guy's handling the ball and the other guy thinks he should be handling it. But I think if, if, if you want any chance to contend for a title, you just got to take those risks. Yeah, I've been against it because I thought it was kind of wasted value as far as a max contract goes. But I just heard some arguments I think that are um, convincing. You know, again, the Golden State argument. I mean, they're they're up there. So you just what what you have is not going to be good enough. So you got to throw something different, uh, perhaps set a new trend. But certainly, this league is about playmakers, and you know, we've seen several teams like. Cleveland, LeBron, sometimes the Rockets with Harden, that they're not effective when their star player goes out. you got to have a playmaker at all times. But also just the ability to have two guards who are super threats to, to attack the basket, create off the dribble, um, and that's what you know certainly Chris Paul and James Harden would be. Both of them are, are pretty good shooters uh, from three-point range. They're going to be able to play off of each other. And if, if Paul is willing to come here, then he knows what he's signing up for. He knows what the situation is, and and hopefully those two would, would both be willing to sacrifice. Now, now I, I will say this about Chris Paul's uh, offensive game, is, uh, in addition to that, is that in addition to being a good three-point shooter, he is an elite mid-range jump shooter. And I think one of the big complaints about the Rockets in the playoffs and, and Oklahoma City – this showed a little bit in the Oklahoma City series and definitely a lot in the Spurs series was while the Rockets offense in the regular season of pretty much all threes and layups and dunks, it, it works in the regular season. Teams in a seven game series can game plan for that kind of offense. And it helps to have someone besides James Harden who forget about is able to hit a mid range jumper is even allowed to attempt a mid range jumper. It, while the three is definitely a more efficient shot than a mid-range jumper, if you have players that are very good at those shots, like a Chris Paul, like Chris Bosh would have been if he signed here, like LaMarcus Aldridge would have been had he signed here, I, I definitely think those, all of those guys would have been shoot, allowed to shoot mid-range jumpers uh, from time to time, and that just further diversifies the offense, makes it less predictable, and makes it even more impossible to guard. Well, we'll see. This is going to be interesting. I think Paul George is a, a huge question mark, you know, whether you're able to acquire a guy like that. Uh, the fact that a trade hasn't been done yet um, is 
somewhat promising. Uh, at least it's, you know, they didn't pull the trigger yet, but it doesn't mean uh, anything necessarily for the Rockets. I think we're going to have some questions about whether they're going to move cap room. But they've made Chris Paul uh, a top target, and I think I think something's given them um, a very strong confidence about their chances of getting him. Um, and maybe you know maybe he wanted to come here, and that's that's what drove that. Or maybe what we saw in the end of Game Five and the disastrous Game Six, which will live in infamy, unfortunately, um, drove some of that. I think. Um, Unfortunately, the Rockets had a great season. Harden had a great season, but it's just the reality that that ending is going to overshadow and it's going to stick with the Rockets uh, for a while. I mean, I know one season ticket holder, actually two, um, that have told me they're not going to renew season tickets because they were just so turned off by that game six. Um, and it's unfortunate, you know, but that's just the way it goes. And I think the Rockets... You know, I said this a few years ago, and I thought they had actually done it, but they're going to have to sort of rebuild uh, some faith with with fans because that was uh, just the way they kind of crashed and burned was just so unfortunate. But uh, I, I love that the Rockets always think big. I think fans sometimes um, kind of tear them down because they f- they've failed uh, um, quite a bit at doing that, but they always try. They always go for it, and they've been – in the thick of things, you know, quite a few times, I don't think there's anything wrong with going for the big fish. And if it works out, they're going to look like geniuses. I personally believe they're going to end up getting Chris Paul. Anything beyond that is, is I think, a question mark. But if you're able to get, you know, Harden and Chris Paul, a guy who's, uh, you know, head of the Players Union and has a lot of respect around the league as far as being a leader, um, you're going to bring in or you're going to attract other guys who are going to come in on the cheap. I mean, we're seeing players flock to the Warriors for the chance to just get a free, yeah, easy ring. And I mean, we've heard names like Zach Randolph and, of course, Vince Carter, which isn't that big of a deal, um, possibly signing on, on the cheap. And I think if you're able to get that second star here uh, at a minimum, you know, you may see if Carmelo Anthony gets bought out that he wants to come to Houston or other guys who get bought out later will want to come to Houston for a chance to play. Who wouldn't with two guys who are so unselfish and willing to pass the ball uh, like James Harden and Chris Paul? But uh, we're going to see what, in, what ends up happening. Who do you think, if they're able to clear the cap space and able to get a max guy like Chris Paul, who do you think they try to get uh, via trade if they're not able to get Paul George? Well, I, I think the guy who comes to mind is uh, Paul Millsap. Uh, I know the Rockets have been linked to him uh, in, in their pursuit of him uh, recently. And one of the things that differentiates Millsap, aside from the fact that I think he would be a perfect fit in D'Antoni's offense, he's um, a, a good shooter from power forward position, and he's also an elite defensive player. He's probably one of the top three defensive power forwards in the league. Um, extremely underrated all-star. Um, now, he's like Chris Paul. He is in his early 30s now, so you are taking the risk that, that the back end of that contract is going to be pretty pretty bad. Uh, but if you're going all in now, you, you know you're going to have to take some pain later. But one of the differentiators for uh, uh, Paul Millsap versus like Blake Griffin or Gordon Hayward is that um, Travis Schlenk, who's the new Atlanta Hawks GM, has apparently openly admitted that they're willing to entertain sign-and-trade deals for Millsap. Um, the other teams probably wouldn't entertain sign-and-trade. Who knows? Maybe their, their tunes would change. But the fact that you're getting those indications from Atlanta already lets, lets other teams know that, hey, besides Paul George, here is a guy that teams can go out and trade for, and they don't need to necessarily open up cap room as long as they can make the salaries match. Now, depending on how much Millsap wants as a starting salary, it would be pretty hard to get enough salary up to match. You probably need Eric Gordon, Patrick Beverly. You might need Trevor Reza to throw in there to get enough salary <laughs> to match how much uh, Millsap's going to want. But the fact that that avenue becomes open to you, whereas you know you probably don't even have any method to get that third star otherwise, unless it's Paul George, it could be intriguing to the Rockets. So I think one of the factors, one of the motivating factors for Millsap going after Millsap is that's a guy you might be able to get via sign and trade, which really helps you from a team building standpoint of just being able to get that third star. 
it's just so hard to tell what Atlanta wants to do, right? And obviously, you know, we talked about this before. He's now a four-time All-Star. It's been four straight years since he's made the All-Star team. Um, the All-Defensive team hasn't come out the, this year, but he was a second-team All-Defense in 2016. So he's going to come in, I would think, a big salary, as you pointed out. But what is Atlanta going to expect in return? It's just a hard team to peg. They're, they, they probably should have rebuilt a year ago when you know Horford left and they brought in Dwight. It was kind of a strange, kind of interesting mix. But we'll see. This is going to be another exciting uh, free agency period where I, you know, I know a lot of fans are kind of feeling like you know they're not going to be fooled again by some of this. But you know the Rockets have big visions, big plans uh, for you know, what they hope to do. And I, I personally was a little bit disappointed with the draft, but I think the beauty of free agency is they could quickly erase a disappointment of a second round with a big addition, uh, like a guy like Chris Paul or acquiring a guy like Paul George. And so we'll see what they do. But I, I know Daryl Morey and uh, the whole entire Rocket staff has uh, is is aiming strictly for big fish here. Well, I know I know that they can't get Jordan Bell, but Chris Paul might be a consolation prize for you, Dave. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Jordan Bell would be would have been a, the terrific second starting to add next to uh, James Harden. But it, yeah, I mean, again, you don't you have no idea what Jordan Bell is going to be. He could be Quincy AC, or he could be a guy who uh, is a terrific defensive player in this league, and you would have got him on the cheap. But you know, that's. Neither here nor there at this point. He's a member of the Golden State Warriors, and, uh, you know, the Rockets miss out. But, hey, if they're at uh, Chris Paul and Paul George, I don't think any one of us are going to complain. Uh, and the Rockets would be, you know, right up there with the elite teams. I mean, I should say that the elite teams would be probably two, max three, and they would be incredibly fun to watch. But right now we, we're still, you know, in kind of the hopes and dreams mode. Yeah, but, you know, we're ushering in the age of a new CBA, which – I can't believe it was speaking hour. I didn't even get to talk about the new CBA. It kicks in on July 1. Um, a bunch of fun new rules that maybe 10 people besides myself care about. But <laughs> what, watch out for those two-way contracts, Dave. Those two-way contracts are going to be huge. Perfect. David, man, I appreciate you doing this. I know we, uh, we touched on a lot this time, but uh, we'll see. We'll just uh, kind of... Hold out our hope here, see what the Rockets can do, because I think, uh, you know, a lot of fans have just, not just Houston fans, but a lot of fans around the league were just discouraged because even though they may love to see the destruction or this, this great all-star lineup that the Warriors throw out there, they're just discouraged because there aren't any great rivalries. The year before, we saw an incredible seven-game series between the Thunder and Warriors, an incredible seven-game series between the Warriors and the Cavs, and this year, the Warriors just cleaned house. I mean, they just won 15 straight games and you know lost one and then just finished it off so i think without the drama the nba was a little bit um i think disappointing for a lot of fans who, who wanted to see something more so i'm hoping the rockets can be the team that adds that drama to the league we can only hope <laughs> thanks again for doing this man and we'll do it again soon sounds good dave thanks for having me